Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So we're going to be reading out of Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. So you can follow along with me. We have your Bibles. Starting in verse 7, Psalm 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Hi guys. Hey, it's so good to be back here. It's good to see you this morning. Good to have you with us this morning. We're in our series called Discover and Rise. Remember, Discover has been our theme throughout this entire year, and Rise is the sermon series right now, this teaching series that we're going through, and, and it's all about helping you uh, establish a firm foundation in your discipleship as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, right? We, we want to make disciple makers. And th- it's so important for us to have this, the same foundation in doing that. And the Word gives us that this morning. And so we're going to focus on the Word. We've been talking about a whole bunch of different things with you uh, throughout this series already. But today we're going to focus on the word, and uh, and it's all about it's all about being a disciple. And remember our DNA: it's K D S C, Kingdom Disciples, Engaging Society, and out of that arises the Church: Kingdom Disciple Society Church. And right now we're in the D segment of this, right? We're in the disciple portion, and we're going to talk about the word this morning and its, and its importance for us as disciples. And this is why our, our three groups, our Rhythm Three groups, are, f- are founded on the word. The word is foundational in these groups to form us, to shape us, to correct us, to teach us, to train us in righteousness, to, to rebuke us, to, to make us more like Jesus. And, and so we're also doing uh, this this uh, series that we'll release on SurveyHQ as well called God's Story. And, and where I'm taking, I'm taking us through the scriptures and I'm going through from Genesis to Revelation all the way through each book. And we're doing a biblical theology of each book where we are, we're, we're seeing the big picture and how, and how the trees in the book fit into the forest, right? So, and then how that fits into the forest of the scriptures. So hopefully that'll, that, that'll be released soon. You guys can follow that. Um, but it's because the word is so important for us and our formation as a follower of Jesus. And my own personal experience with this, when I became a follower of Jesus, 
I didn't know anything different. I just thought, I just thought this book right here was where I was gonna, gonna find life. I thought th these are the words of life. And so it wasn't even a choice for me. I just felt compelled and had this strong desire to spend time in the scriptures. And, and I know for, for a lot of you guys who have maybe grown up in church, um, it's just kind of become old hat sometimes. It's, it's, it's just there. And maybe you're told to do this when you're a child and, and your parents made you read the Bible or, and it was never a desire of your own. Or, or for some of you guys who came into, into uh, Christianity later, um, it was a desire that was there at the beginning, but it's, but it's waned uh, because the word was difficult for you to understand or, or um, it was just arduous and, and it required discipline. And, and for some of you guys who became followers of Jesus later in life, um, that desire, it may be more present for you than, than those who have been, been around longer. And so wherever you are on that spectrum, we just want to talk about the importance of the word of God for your life as a follower of Jesus today because it is here to shape you. It's here to transform you. It's here to, to lead you, to guide you, to show you uh, the, the abundant life. And you should, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should desire it. Now, you should know, I haven't been in the Word in a long time. It's like, it's like if you're walking through a desert, you know you need water. This is the living water. This is, this is Jesus giving us living water. This is, this is water to our soul. We're going to go through all these metaphors today. And it's, it's uh, through Psalm 19. It's to revive us. It's to enlighten us. All, all these things. And so you need this. You cannot survive the Christian life without it. You cannot and maybe you can go through long, long stretches through the desert, through the wilderness, but you're going to need that oasis. And the best way is to have it with you all the time and, and, is, to, and is to keep nourishing yourself and, and growing from the word. And so this morning, my hope for you is that you're going to fall deeply in love with the word of God this morning as you see uh, this scripture in Psalm 19 on the word of God, because it's in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's there. And that desire, uh, and, and it may feel like you're inconsistent here and you don't read the word as much as you should. Don't feel condemnation in that, guys. God is just welcoming you back in this morning. He never left. He's not there saying, he's not there condemning you. He's saying, hey, come back to me. Come back this morning. And, and the word is, is, uh, is, is where your, your soul is going to get restored. So, um, that desire is always going to be there in your heart if you're a follower of Jesus because the Spirit of God dwells in you. So let's go into, let's go into this this morning. Psalm 19, we're, we're not going to go through the entire psalm. I'm just going to summarize the first, the first part of it uh, because the first part deals with general revelation. We talked about revelation uh, a few weeks ago, and, and the second part deals with special revelation. So uh, general revelation here, you have the first part of the psalm saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. So we can look in nature, for instance, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, we can look into nature and know that there's a God. The heavens declare his glory. The sky above proclaims his handiwork, that he is a creator God, that he loves us, that he fashioned it. And that's, 
And, and that's general revelation. And that's so beautiful that we can be in nature and look at nature and know that there's God. But guys, nature is not enough. Nature is not enough. Those, those of you guys who, who, who love nature and how nature speaks to you, it's, it only does that because of special revelation. And I used to love times when I would be, uh, I love being in a mountain area and just, just being out there in the wilderness. I, love, I used to love times when I would um, be past the breakers um, on a surfboard in the ocean where it's just silent and just praying, just being with God. Praying a shark doesn't bite off my leg. Uh, just, just being out there. Um, but it's, that's not enough if I don't have special revelation. A special revelation makes that possible. Makes, makes nature even, it makes me know who this God is in nature. And that's what the second part of this is. It's specific special revelation. There's this general revelation that everyone can know, but then there's a specific special revelation, and you see this in the psalm. In the first part of the psalm, the word, the, the word to describe God is the word God. It's, it's uh, Elohim, right? It's, it's this general word for God, but in the second part of the psalm, uh, the psalmist, David, he only uses Lord, Yahweh, the intimate, personal name of God. So when he starts off and he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. He's saying, this is special. God has specially, specifically, intimately, personally spoken to us. It's not just through nature and creation. He's done something very specific and special here. And so he says here, the law of the Lord, which that, that word is Torah, which, which the law here we kind of have poor connotations with the law, but in the scriptures, think about it in terms of God's comprehensively revealed will, right? This is God's revealed will. This is, this is what we have right here, right? This is his revealed will right here. And guys, I know uh, a lot of times we ask about, God, what is your will for my life? That's not a bad question, but it's a bad question if you're not looking in here. This is God's revealed will. Now, God has some specific things that you can hear from him, from others, from, from um, uh, circumstances, from, from all these different things that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, but if it's apart from this, then, it, then, then you're just kind of wandering out there. Guys, you need to be founded on the word. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, search here, search on the file, Find yourself in the scriptures, make this your foundation, and then you can ask uh, about other things, right? But first, know this. Most of us, we're, we're going over here. We're looking for, for destiny, for instance, without identity, right? We've, we've, we've transposed them. We've, we've put them out of order. We've misordered them. We've misplaced them. And so this is where God's revealed will is. This is the Torah. This is God's law. And it is perfect. It is blameless. It is without blemish. That's what this word means. And what does it do? It revives the soul. It brings it back to life. It restores it. Think, um, think silver here. This is, this, is, uh, this is Psalm 12, verse 6. David has already used this imagery of silver and how silver is purified and it's, and it's cleansed. And so think of like, uh, or here, like think, this isn't silver, but, but think of this. This ring here, um, it's a silver color. Uh, and, and if it gets tarnished, that doesn't make it not silver. 
it's still silver there, right? This is the image of God in you. This is the imago Dei. This is what God placed in, in us from the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, male and female who created them in the image of God, he created us, right? That's the silver inside us. That's there, but it's been tarnished. That doesn't mean the image of God isn't there anymore. That ring is still here. But what does the scriptures do? What do they do? What does the law of the Lord do as it's in, its, in, its perf- in, in, in it as it's perfect, as it's blameless, as it's without blemish? Well, it revives it. It takes the tarnish off. It makes it bright and beautiful again. And so that's the, that's the picture that, that David is giving us here that the law of the Lord does for us, that it, that it brings us back to life. Do you need to be restored do you know that you need to be restored? Could you use something right now to revive your soul, to restore it, to take the tarnish off, to make it bright and beautiful again? In our R3 groups, we talk about fuel and we talk about inputs. And, and this is in our up rhythm and how what we take in, what we input into us, tarnishes that silver more or cleanses it. Anything you input is going to do one or the other. There's nothing neutral there. It's going to tarnish it or make it bright and beautiful again. And for most of you, your insides, your soul, might look like a raisin today when it's supposed to be a grape. Right? It's, it's dehydrated, it, it needs revivication, it needs restoration, it's, it's, um, it's shriveled up. But it used to look like a grape. It used to be, it used to be crisp and, and plump and juicy. And we're looking for something to revive us, to restore us, to satisfy us, to fulfill us. And for you, if you're a follower of Jesus... That's this. It's the word of God. It's the word with the spirit working in conjunction in your soul. And how often, though, do we bypass this for something else? We know we're thirsty. right? We're in the desert. We're in the wilderness. We're like raisins, all shriveled up, right? And, and we're looking for something to restore us. We're looking for water. And, and this is the picture of it. Like, you're on your way to the kitchen to get that cold, filtered, clean water from the refrigerator, and you walk past your bathroom, your washroom, and you're distracted by the lukewarm, unfiltered, filthy water in the toilet. And you input that instead of the, instead of the water from, from the fridge. That's a picture of how a lot of us live. We walk, past, we walk past this in order to drink out of a dirty toilet. So what are you inputting? If you really want your soul restored, revived, are you searching, where are you searching for that? Are you searching for that in, uh, sometimes we search for it in our sin. Are you searching for that in pornography? Are you searching for that in the love of money? Are you searching for that in... 
Uh, sometimes it's good things, guys. Sometimes we search for that in our, in our, in our family. We search for that in your spouse. Guys, your spouse is going to fail you every day. <laughs> you have to realize that your spouse will not fulfill you. Your children will never fulfill you. You're to raise them and release them as disciples. That's what they're for. This, the word of God, is where we find and discover abundant life. And so if you want your, your soul restored and revived this morning, this is where you go. This is what is perfect. The law of the Lord revives the soul. None of those other things are perfect. None of those other things will fill that void in your soul. So he says here, moving on in verse 7, he says, The testimony of the Lord, that's, that's the truth of the Lord, is sure. It is both firm and confirmed, right? It is sure. It is going to happen. And what does it do? Well, it makes wise those who are simple. It makes wise the simple. This, is, this word in the Hebrew has this connotation of a young person or a, a naive person, a person who doesn't know uh, things about the world or an, uh, someone who is uneducated, an uneducated person or someone who has not yet fully matured, right? Someone who is, who is simple, who is growing, who is learning. Do you think this morning that you have fully matured? I think a lot of us think that about ourselves. I think a lot of us think we're further along than we actually are. And here's, here's another thing. When, when, you think, when you think you know more about something than somebody else, do you have a posture that you can still learn something? Because here, the scriptures make wise the simple. And that's not a derogatory term. We could substitute simple for humble. The scriptures make wise those who are humble. Those who realize they haven't reached the point yet. Those who realize they can learn anything from anybody at any time. Guys, in the past 10 years, I've learned more from my two daughters than I have from anybody else in my life, probably. I learned more from my two daughters. It's, it's amazing. The simple, the uneducated, the young, the naive, than anybody. Are you willing to submit yourself to another person out of reverence for Christ Jesus because you think you can learn from that other person? I had someone contact me a couple weeks ago and say, I want to I learn how you learn, and I want to listen how you listen. Because I've noticed, even when it's obvious that you know more about something than somebody else, you submit yourself to learn. No matter what, no matter that person's station in life, no matter that person's knowledge, no matter that person's anything, you submit yourself to learn. And I want to learn how you do that. And I want to listen how you listen to others. And guys, so that's, that's our posture to the scriptures. It's not one of hubris. It's one of, it's one of humility. It's saying, I can learn something from anybody at any time, anywhere. You know, one of the biggest things that, sh that has shaped Trinity Life Church has been someone's statement who, who made the statement in a critical way behind my back to somebody else, and it eventually came around to me. And at first, I was hurt. I was uh, hardened, probably. And then pretty quickly, I, I prayed into it, and I said, Lord, 
I want to hear what you want me to hear through this. Doesn't matter that it was delivered wrongly. Doesn't matter that I probably shouldn't have heard it. Um, God, what are you doing in my heart? What do you want to do in my heart with that? And guys, that one statement has actually done almost more than any other statement to shape Trinity Life Church today. And I heard it through criticism, through pain, through heartache, through, someone, through someone's betrayal, really. But I was willing to submit myself, not out of reverence for that person, although that's included, but out of reverence for Christ Jesus. And to say, what do you want to say to me in this time? If you can do that, then you will be wise. If you, will all, if you always operate in, humil- in, in hubris and arrogance, then you'll always be the fool. It's only through humility, through submitting ourselves to the scriptures, that we can learn from the scriptures. And guys, here's the thing about the scriptures. Um, yes, they're clear, but they're hard to understand, right? So, so we have to submit ourselves over and over and over again. They're hard to understand. And you're like, and, and I get it, we have the spirit of God in us, so we have the ability to understand, but it's still difficult. And why should we think it's not gonna be that way? This is about the God of the universe. This is revealing who God is in his character. This is talking about God, and God wrote this. He, 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 he has written these words. Basically, it's like if I were to go to Einstein and, and he was to teach uh, me and a bunch of uh, people in grade one the theory of relativity, right? Like, I would expect I wouldn't understand it the first time. And I would expect those kids in grade one wouldn't understand it. And I expect I wouldn't understand it the second time. And I'd expect I need to spend time with Einstein a lot to understand his brain and how he works. Right? That's the scriptures. This is God we're talking about. So don't just, don't just open this up and think, oh, well, I should understand it, and I don't, so, well, something's wrong with this book. No, something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with you. It's, it's sin. And we have to work through it. We have to allow the scriptures to form us, to shape us. And we can only do that if we approach it in humility. There's this amazing C.S. Lewis quote. It's going to be on the screen here. Uh, I'm just going to read it to us. Uh, because he, here's the thing. If you're thinking right now that pride and hubris is not an issue for you, then it definitely is. Then it is an issue for you. It is your issue. This is what C.S. Lewis says about it. He says, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes or hates when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they're guilty of themselves. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it is humility. I love that. That's from mere Christianity. So if you don't think you have an issue with that, you definitely do. Let's submit ourselves out of, uh, uh, to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit ourselves to the, to the word, and, we'll, and it'll shape us. It'll restore, revive our soul, make us wise. And then also the precepts, which is basically a word for a thing that's charged to us, right? Go do this. The precepts of the Lord, Yahweh, the intimate personal God, are right. They're straight. They will not lead us astray. And 
they rejoice the heart. They give joy. They produce joy, rejoicing the heart, which in the scriptures, the heart references the entirety of your being, your will, your emotions, your intellect, all, all those things are, are, are in the heart. So it does that to the entirety of your being. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure. So commandment, uh, I feel like with, with the word commandment, we, we have this kind of big weightiness to it. But, but just think the direction of the Lord. And there is a weightiness to it, of course, but, but not, in a, not in a bad way. The, the direction of the Lord, the commission of the Lord, like he's commissioning us out. He's pointing us in this direction or his instruction. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Think back to the silver, right? The, the ring and the precious metal. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They're without blemish. And what do they do? Well, they enlighten our eyes. Why is that important? Why our eyes? Remember, we're talking about inputs, right? But well, why is that important? We're talking about fuel. We're talking about our up relationship with, with God. Why? Why? Why is that important? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, well, guess what? Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is actually darkness, how great is the darkness, Jesus says. Ah, oh, such, such an enigmatic, hard, difficult statement, right? If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? But if your, light, if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. This is a psalmist cry in Psalm 119. He says, open my eyes. Open my eyes. He doesn't say open my heart, although that's necessary too, right? But in this instance, he says, open my eyes, then I may behold the wonders of your law. How do we read this word, guys? With our eyes. Right? And yes, you, you can hear it audibly too, but, but there's, this, there's this picture here of those, uh, of, of, of how we're to, we're to take the word. Even if you're hearing it, right, audibly, you're probably visualizing it in your mind, right? So you're visualizing the words as they come together. You're visualizing uh, how, how the scriptures are knitted together, how it pieces together. You're, you're, you're putting imagery with the words, those, those things. So we're not just talking about physical eyes, but the eyes of the mind here. For us in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ, Paul says. So we, our eyes have been enlightened. We can interpret because we have the Spirit. We have the, and so we can know the things of the Spirit. But are your eyes pure or are they impure? Are they enlightened or are they darkened? What are you putting into your eyes? What are you putting into your mind? You know, Philippians 4 says we should think on things that are like this. And this is gonna this is gonna cause us to to experience the abundant life, to move away from anxiety, and experience the abundant life, to experience peace, which transcends all understanding. He says, think on things that are good and noble, trustworthy, true, that are of excellence, that are of praise, that are worthy. Think on those things that are just. Think on the, all those things, and you'll know the abundant life. And your whole body will be enlightened if you focus on the word. Fix your eyes on Jesus on the word, and your whole body will be enlightened. And then he says in verse 9, he says, the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. Seems like an interesting, awkward 
out of place adjective for the fear of the Lord, right? That the fear of the Lord is clean. But this word refers to ceremonial cleanliness, that we are ceremonially clean. And so the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, talk a lot about this. So does the New Testament. Uh, Talk a lot about ceremonial cleanliness. And there's all these laws, there's all these statutes, there's all these rules that the Israelites have to do to approach the presence of God to be ceremonially clean. And the high priest, he has to do even more to do that. And, and there's different rituals, there's different things they do, there's feasts, there's, there's sacrifices, all these things kind of work together to make, to make the people clean so that they can approach the presence of God. Because here's the thing, God is clean, he is pure, he is holy, and if we bring unholiness, uncleanliness, impurity into his midst, those things could actually kill us. And we saw, and we can see examples of that in the Old Testament because, because they brought their ceremonial uncleanliness in the presence of God. And those things, their sin, the wages of sin is death, Paul says, their sin, their uncleanliness killed them because they could not withstand God's purity, purity and holiness and, and his cleanliness, right? So, so they approached God and, and those things just burned up in his presence, right? This is, a, this is 1 Corinthians 3. It's a picture of that, the dross burning up. So, so uh, they, uh, this, this fear, this fear of the Lord is clean. It's, it makes you ceremonially clean. And this fear wasn't just a reverence or a respect or an awe of God. We've kind of, um, uh, we've euphemized it. Right? We've made it into a, a euphemism. Like, like we, we've taken the teeth out of it, that the fear of the Lord, oh, that means you need to have a reverence and respect for God. Yeah, it, it does mean that. But there's more to it than that when you understand how the scriptures work, that, that the fear of the Lord is actually an, an understanding of God's omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and that he is the creator, we are the created, that he is holy, that we are unholy, that he is God, that we are his servants, and that there's actually distinction there. And there's understanding that God is God and we are not, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that his ways are higher than our ways, that we're not going to totally understand what he's, he's doing, that, he's, that, he, that for eternity we'll, we'll learn who God is, that there's so much more to God. We can never mind the full depths of God. And there's, actual, there's an actual distinction between the creator and the created. For a lot of us guys, Jesus has just become your best friend, and, and uh, you know, we talk about him. Like, when I was growing up, <laughs> they, used to have, they used to have teachers that said, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, he, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, we're, and, and Jesus does talk about, talk about like, like, he's friends with us. We have a friend in Jesus, yes. But guys, he's God. God the Father is, is God. Yes, he's intimate and he's personal, and he's made a way for us, right? The, the fear of the Lord. Now, we don't have to cower and be scared in his presence because Jesus has actually taken the wrath of God for us and he's made a way for us. But that doesn't make Jesus our homeboy. That makes Jesus exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we worship the King. We worship the Lord, right? 
and also the King and the Lord, we can rest our head on his bosom like John does, right? There's this amazing dynamic intention there, but we've overemphasized one aspect of it to the neglect of, of the other. So this fear is just recognizing, man, he's the creator, we're the created, and, and it's clean, it's ceremonially clean. We don't have to do those rituals anymore. Jesus and his blood has made us ceremonially clean. We have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that purifies us. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 5, the word washes us. The word does this. So you want to understand the fear of the Lord more? You want to, and, and you understand how, how, um, how you're cleansed? Read this. The word washes over us. So uh, in, in the second part of verse 9, he says, the rules of the Lord, remember Yahweh, the intimate God, the rules, think not, think, uh, rules can have a poor connotation for us too. We're like, God, oh, don't do this, do this. That's not what we're talking about here. That's religion. That's not the Christian faith. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? If you are actually, if you actually uh, have a relationship of the abundant life with Jesus, do's and don'ts are the last thing you worry about. That's not what the Christian faith is. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Like I follow Jesus and I, and I uh, follow these, his instruction because that is my heart's desire. And when it's your heart's desire, it doesn't, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, list, it's a list of just following Jesus, right? It's just me following him and trying to be more like him. So uh, here we have the rules. Think of rules as rulings or judgments, like God is a judge and he's making rulings and, and, and judgments to benefit those standing before him. So that's what this is talking about, these, these rules of the Lord, that they're, they're true. And this word true has this connotation of, of faithfulness, that is, they, they will not fail us. That his rules, his judgments, his rulings are always faithful. They will never fail us. And yet they're righteous. And they're righteous altogether. So this, this word here in the Hebrew, it, 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 it can actually, it, it actually means that the rules of the Lord, the rulings of the Lord are true and righteous together. Okay, so altogether kind of gives us the idea that um, uh, it can give you a different idea, but together may give you more of an idea of unity, because that's the that's what is trying to be communicated here. That all of God's rulings, all of His rules, all of His statutes, principles, laws, uh, precepts, testimony, all, all these things form a unified whole, and together, as a whole, they're righteous. It doesn't mean that each individual piece isn't, isn't righteous, but, but we need to see it as a unified whole. And that really speaks to what these scriptures are, guys. That really speaks to what the word is, that it, it needs to be understood as a unity, it needs to be understood as a unified whole. And that's what biblical theology is. That's why we're doing the, the God Story series that were released on ServeHQ, to show you how unified the scriptures are so that hopefully you understand the word better. And if you can see that it's, it's, it all fits in together, then you actually understand the little pieces of it too. Then you can interpret this segment of it or the segment in Obadiah or the segment in Habakkuk or the segment in, in uh, Philemon. And you can, you can really understand what that segment means and as part of the unified whole. And that's why there's value in reading the word in big chunks. Now, Missy and I have been doing this 
um, for the past few months, and we're over halfway through the scriptures just in a few months. And, and so you can do it. You can read it in big chunks, and there's value there. You're not going to catch every little tree, but you're going to see the forest better than you have before. So there's value in that. There's also value in reading it verse by verse um, if you know the big picture, right? So this is, this is, reminds me of sometimes with the girls, like they're, they always help me do things. And so if I'm working on something and trying to fix something, you know, and I, and I say, and I ask the girls to get me something. So I'll say something like, um, hey, Emerson, can you, can you go get me the vice grips from the basement closet in the green tool bag, which is by mommy's desk, right? But she's so eager that she'll run when I say, Emerson, can you get me? And then she'll run off. And I'm like, she didn't even hear what I said. <laughs> she didn't even get the whole picture. She didn't hear what, <laughs> she doesn't even know what she's going to get. So now her options are, she comes back with more questions, or she thinks, I didn't give her all the information to accomplish the task I asked her to do. Or she knows that she messed up, so she goes into, maybe she heard tool bag, so she goes in and she brings the wrong tool, or she brings a different tool, or she just brings the whole bag because she's like, well, I know there's supposed to be a tool, so she brings the entire bag, which she didn't have to do, which is really heavy, actually, but she does that. Or she just wanders around aimlessly, saying, maybe, hopefully, I'll figure it out. And all those are poor outcomes from what I actually wanted her to do, but if she had stopped and listened to the entirety of my instruction, I would have given her all of it so she knew exactly what to do and she could go in a few seconds, get it, and bring it back. Then I wouldn't be frustrated, she wouldn't be frustrated, and then we could keep on fixing it. And that's a picture of how most of us understand the scriptures. You only know a few parts of the scriptures. You, you've, heard, you've heard God say, hey, go get me this the vice grips out of the green tool bag in the closet, but you, but you went when you say go, and you forgot what you were supposed to even do. So you're left to wander aimlessly. Or you come back with more questions, or you say, God, your word's hard. I don't understand it. And he's like, but you didn't listen to it. You didn't listen to the entirety of the instruction. Of course you don't understand that verse. You don't know how it fits with the rest of it. Of course you don't understand that passage because you don't understand what I've been trying to do through, through the entirety of salvation history. You haven't taken time to read this. How, how do you expect to understand step 100 in the New Testament when you don't understand step two in Genesis, right? And for most of us, that's, that's what we're doing. We're spending our time in, in step 100 to 200 and we don't understand step one to 100, right? And actually it's more like, one to, two, one to 200, 200 to 300, right? The first two-thirds versus the, the latter one-third. And, and so, and, and because of that, because you only know a few parts of God's instruction of his Bible, you might talk about God as love, which is good and right, but you neglect his jealousy, which is also good and right. Or you see Jesus as a son of God, but not the son of man. Or you don't understand his humanity at all. Or you think of God as wrathful because you see that in the Old Testament, but you don't realize that this is actually a result of his perfect, undying, always pursuing, never failing love for us that is just, if not more, no, 
I take that back. It is more prominent in the Old Testament than the wrath. There's actually a special word for his love in, in the Hebrew scriptures. And so you come back with more questions and you wander, you aim, you, you wander, you wander aimlessly through the Christian life. And here's your oasis. It's right here the whole time for you. And we need all of God's instruction to make sense of how to live the abundant life. And we've seen exactly how Christians take pieces of it and run with it. We've seen this historically through big mistakes like the Crusades, like the history, like so much of the history of the papacy, right? Not the papacy in general. I'm not abolishing that. I'm saying if you look at the history of it, so much of it is bad. It's like First and Second Kings. You've got only a few good kings, right? That's the history of the papacy. Um, you know, or the Reformation, Right? Some of you guys are like, what, the Reformation, bad? Yeah, guys, um, a lot of good came out of it, but a lot of bad came out of it too. We won't go into all of that. There's so many mistakes because we just took pieces of God's instruction, the slave trade, burning bridges with the LGBTQ community, burning bridges with the Muslim community and other faiths. Like, so many bad things have come out of us just taking parts of God's instruction and running with it. Right? And we forgot Along the way, we left love somewhere. We left love, left our tool of love somewhere down there when that should be leading us. And our hope is that through this series, Rise, through the God Story series, that you will see the scriptures uh, in a more unified whole as you try to follow Jesus. Verse 10, because more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. He makes distinction here between gold and much fine gold. And then he says, sweeter also than honey and dripping from the honeycomb. So there's honey and there's, man, that's, that's honey from the honeycomb. You know the distinction. He says, the scriptures, some of us, we just settle for the gold, the unrefined, the gold that's in the rock. Um, but he says, the scriptures you should desire even more than refined or fine gold that's, that's been purified, that has been refined, Right? So even that gold or even that honeycomb, you should desire more. And why? Why does David use these two things, gold and honey, as examples? Why does he talk about money and food here? Why does he say you should desire the word of God more than you desire those things? Well, it's because we need those things to live. You need food to live. You need money to live. Right? We need those things to live. And he says, how much more so do you need this to live? This is your lifeblood, this word. And you should desire it more than food, which is for your physical body that you need to live, more than money, which gets you physical things. Because you are a spiritual being, and this is the living water. This is your life. This is your lifeblood, the word in conjunction with the spirit. And you should love this. You should love this and desire this word. Guys, I love this word. I could read this all day, every day, and never tire of it and still learn something new. I don't know how many times this is that I've read through the scriptures. I just read through it over and over and over and over again. I don't know how many times this is that I've done it. But guys, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. Seeing things I've never seen before. It's like fresh every time I go to it. And then the things that I do remember, I see in a new light because of where I am in life, right? Jesus reveals more depth to it. 
you could read these verses over and over again for the rest of your life and still not mine the entirety of their depths. That's how rich the word is. Allow it to dwell richly in you, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Just, just let it do that. Hide it in your heart. Just, just, let, it, just let it enrich your soul. Because we, we just neglect it so often. Right? And it's just here for us. And God is saying, I don't understand. This is your sustenance. Right? This is... Jesus in Matthew 4, quoting to Satan as he's in the wilderness, and Satan is saying, turn those breads into stone. I mean, sorry, turn those stones into bread, because I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You haven't eaten anything. You haven't drank anything. I know you're hungry. If you're the son of God, do this. And Jesus quotes to him, Deuteronomy 8, 3, and he says, we don't live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Ah, oh, Jesus is saying, I don't need that when I have this. When I have God's word, that's all I need to live. Verse 11, moreover, by them, your servant is warned. All right, this is Psalm 119. This is hide your word, or I have hidden your word. I've stored it up in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're warned by it. God is saying, nope, don't go that way. There's thorns over there. You'll, you'll get pricked. Don't go that way. There's a pit over there. It's a pit of despair. You do not want to go down there. Stay straight. I'm warning you, don't go that way. Don't, don't, don't turn back. It's just darkness. The light is forward. Go this way. This is, this is the way. Let me show you the way. We're warned, the, 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 the word warns us. It keeps us from tripping up. It keeps us from, from stumbling. And then he says, in keeping them, there is great reward. So it's like a double-edged sword. It's, it's Hebrews 4, right? It's, it's the word of God is living, it's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of your being, of your heart, of everything. And it helps you and it pushes you towards the abundant life. There's great reward there. There's great reward. Do you want that this morning? Do you want the great reward? Do you want the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? He says it comes when you hear my voice and you obey it. That's the disciple. And how can you hear his voice and obey it? if you don't do it through this. We can hear God's voice through other things, but how can you discern that? How can you even test that if you don't know what this says? The beautiful thing is, in John 1, 1 through 5, it says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. The Word was in the beginning. It has always been. It always was, and it always will be. All right. It's there from eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was where? It was with God. And the Word was what? It was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, wait, the Word is a person? Yeah. The Word just became personified. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. 
Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And guess what, guys? The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. If you're consumed with darkness today, if you feel like you're in the darkness, step into the light. Step into the word. Fill your eyes and your mind. Let it enlighten your eyes. Let it restore your soul. You belong in the light. Don't dwell in the darkness. You belong in the light. Jesus is the word made flesh. This is the incarnation. This is general revelation to special revelation. Jesus is the embodiment of special revelation. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in chapter 5. He says, I didn't come to abolish God's law, the Torah, his instruction, his precepts, his rules. I didn't come to abolish the fear of the Lord. I came to fulfill it. I fulfill all of it. I came to fulfill it for you. So Jesus is all of these things in Psalm 19. Jesus is perfect. He revives our soul. He is blameless. He's without blemish. He's without sin. Jesus is sure. He's firm and he confirms. He's the rock. He is the spiritual rock in the wilderness. He's our rock, as the psalmist says. He's the cornerstone, as Peter says, the chief cornerstone, or we, the foundation that we build the house on. He is our truth, our testimony. Jesus is right. He is, he is our precept. He's our, our, the thing that's been charged to us. He's the narrow path. He's the way. He's the door. He's the straight way. He keeps us on the path. He rejoices our heart. Jesus is pure. He's our commandment. He's our commission. He's given us the commission. He's, he's given us instruction. He's pure. He's clean. He enlightens our eyes. He's, he's fulfilled the law for us. He tore the veil that separated us from God, and he became our one mediator between God and man, as Paul says. He's clean. He's made us ceremonially clean. He, he does this through his blood. He does this for us. And because of his resurrection, he's true. He's not just the way. He's not just the truth. He's the life. He conquered sin and death for us to give us life. And he became sin when he knew no sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Ah, that's the word, and that's the power of the word for you today. That's the power of the word, that it's going to revive your soul, enlighten your eyes, make you wise. It's going to endure forever, and it's going to rejoice your heart and put you in the right standing before God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the word made flesh. And then when we read this book, we're with you. We're with you. We're in your presence. So thank you for the truth of that. And may you just stoke a fire in our hearts of desire to just be with you always through your word in cooperation with the spirit and form us more into your image take us from tarnished and make us bright and beautiful again we ask in your name amen
If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.